Hello, hello to you, to all Adventist mission enthusiasts in this new year. It's January 2020, and we are back online with a new episode of the Institute of World Mission podcast. Friends, after a whole new year of being weekly on air, we took a short break over the Christmas and New Year holidays, but it's over. And I'm sure happy about that. And just as promised, this new episode is out on January 15th. Here at IWM, we are so enthusiastic about the year ahead of us. And as we are looking forward, this is a special time of prayer for us. We want to serve you, you see, in your cross-cultural mission. And as we look ahead, we truly want to be led by the Lord in that. He is the God of mission. He is taking the history of this world to a conclusion. He looks at all of us as his team and he's got plans for us for 2020. So how do we as a community, as individuals, as missionary families and teams in each of our places and responsibilities find out God's will and direction? Well, this happens through prayer. This is why the missions teams at the General Conference take prayer very, very seriously. Right now, we are, in fact, in a season of prayer. We call it the 10 days of prayer. This year, the 10 days of prayer is all about the Holy Spirit and His role in our lives and ministries. It's not too late to join. You can find out more about the 10 days of prayer by typing in your browser the following domain name, 10daysofprayer.org, 10daysofprayer.org. Meanwhile, let's start this year on the IWM podcast with, yes, a prayer. Dear Lord, as we begin this new year, we recommit ourselves to your work, to your mission. We want to give up anything that stands between us and your vision for our characters, for our families, for our ministries. Give us this wonderful peace and joy that can only come from you as we follow your calling for our lives. This we pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Welcome to the Institute of World Mission Weekly Podcast, a show for Adventist mission enthusiasts striving to live, serve, and witness cross-culturally. Visit us at iwm.adventist.org podcast to view this podcast show notes, links, and previous episodes. Institute of World Mission is your partner in the mission field. Our interview today is with Greg and Amy Whitsett. It will be an introduction to a large and significant world religion of Buddhism. You will gain an insight into an influential worldview that shapes minds and lives of more than a billion people. Some of the most unreached people groups in the world are shaped by Buddhism. Secondly, you'll learn about the Global Mission Center for East Asian Religions and how it can help you understand Buddhism and East Asian context a bit better. My counterparts in this interview are, like I just mentioned, Amy and Greg Whitsett. They both lead out in the center and had lived, personally lived for many years in East Asia. With that, let's get straight to the interview. Greg, Amy, welcome to the Institute of World Mission podcast. Thank you. It's good to be here. Yeah. All right. So you guys lead the Global Mission Center for East Asian Religions. What religions does that include? 
The East Asian religions covers anything in East Asia, <laughs> but it's primarily Buddhism, but it also includes Shintoism that you see in Japan, as well as Confucian and Tao and the other Chinese religions. But what most of these religions have in common is that they have a Buddhist-influenced worldview. So anything dealing with those religions is what we cover in our center. All right, Greg, if you could just give us a little bit more light on the geography. So what what is the geographical boundaries we're talking about here? Well, it, you know, there's the diaspora, which is worldwide, you know, Chinatowns and cities on every continent. But and of course, there's other Asian groups as well. But the homelands cover parts of South Asia, Southeast Asia, of course, Eastern Asian countries like China, the Koreas, Japan, and even up into Siberia. There's actually one Buddhist indigenous people group in Europe on the western bank of the Caspian Sea. So it's actually even Europe has an indigenous Buddhist people group there. So I hear Buddhism or Buddhists a lot from you already. Now, what is Buddhism? Is it a religion, a philosophy? Is it something else? I hear a lot of different things about that. So what do you guys say? Well, in the West, they say it's a philosophy. And different scholars and monks in Buddhism who are Asian have picked up on that and they like that appeal to the West. And so they emphasize that Buddhism is a philosophy. But if you are actually working in Asia amongst Asians and talking to the local monks and scholars, they clearly identify as a religion. The reason why there is some confusion is because in the West, our categorization of religion is that it has to have a God who we worship. And Buddhism doesn't have a God that they worship. They have many gods that exist, but that their substance, what what makes up these beings, is no different than makes up humans or animals or spirits or anything else. They all have the same nature. They're called the five skandhas. And it's just based on your merit and level of meditation. It, that depends what level of existence you are born into. So actually, this is why there's that confusion. And many people suggest that Buddhism is a philosophy, but indeed it's a religion. Well, excellent. And uh, you could you just help me maybe describe that religion just a little bit more? What are the key characteristics of this even world religion? We call it a world religion because right. you know, we have proponents of this religion all across the globe and many of uh, Buddhists in East Asia, as you just shared. So what are the key characteristics of this world religion? Yeah, let me just start by saying that when you look at this, at the demographics of the world religions, Buddhism ranks a little bit smaller, not, not as small as Judaism, but certainly smaller than, than, say, Islam. And the reason for that is that we often define Buddhists as those who are religiously active. But as a center, we're interested in anyone who has a worldview that's been shaped by Buddhism. Just like in the West, you have many people who live in Europe who are not Christian, they're maybe atheist, but they have a worldview that has been influenced by the principles and values of Christianity. So that's kind of, so when you look at it that way, all of a sudden the population that is influenced by Buddhism is close to a, one and a half billion people in the world. But actually those who are active, we say is about 300 something million. But a key characteristic with Buddhism is that they're concerned with the issue of suffering and not so much why we exist, how we came to exist, that's not their question. What they're concerned about is how do we alleviate suffering? In fact, Judaism 
many secular Jews, their religion of choice or philosophy of choice, as they would see, is Buddhism. Because Judaism, of course, has a tragic history of suffering. And so this is a common theme between these two, these two religions. So the idea is how do we alleviate suffering? Basically, without going into the textbook definitions, which everyone can read and look at Wikipedia to see, in a nutshell, there's two issues. One is the issue of right lifestyle, right living, right speech, and all of these things, and, and how this can help a person to overcome the effects of karma in their life. The other side of Buddhism is focusing on meditation to train their mind. And so these are the two great things. In fact, most Buddhists align either as what we call karmic Buddhists, who are very focused on earning merit and trying to stop the bad merit. And then there are nirvanic Buddhists who are very focused more on the meditation and trying to attain enlightenment. So suffering, meditation, mm -hmm. attaining enlightenment... Amy, from your side, you have, both you and Greg have experienced, have lived many years in East Asian countries and have worked with many people. How would you describe Buddhism? Buddhism, I think, is very pragmatic from what we've experienced in our time in Southeast Asia. And I'll be honest, I'm limiting this discussion just to that because right. that's our experience. And it could be different in other places, but Buddhism tends to be very pragmatic They do what works, and it is. It's looking at the issue of suffering. Why am I hurting? Why did I have an accident? Why am I in pain? Why am I poor? Why are all these bad things happening to me? And how can I, how can I move myself up out of that? At the same time, not be longing for more. So there's a, also a deep sense of just being content with where you're at, accepting it. That that's also very meritorious. It's kind of a little bit of an irony there that you want to move yourself up, but you also need to be content with where you're at. So you're not grasping for something more, but it's not wrong to also not want to be poor and want to get a good education so you can get a good job or, or what have you. And it's very pragmatic in that you just do whatever works. So whatever works for you is great for you. Whatever works for me is great for me. So it's not unusual actually to see a Buddhist wearing a Christian cross on a necklace because they see that as the Christian icon or the Christian good luck charm. And, and so using that, hoping that it will help them to overcome whatever issue or to prevent accident or sickness or whatever. So you see differences wherever you go, even city to city, town to town, village to village in Southeast Asia, you'll see different flavors of Buddhism because of this, because what works in one area may not work in another area. They also include a lot of animistic ideas as well in some places. So a lot of times when we talk about Buddhism in the West in particular, we're thinking of it as a pure religion or pure philosophy, but it's rarely pure. It's always mixed with something else because it's very pragmatic. And it's this idea of you do what works for you and that's great. Excellent. Thank you, guys. So what we are hearing and our listeners are maybe newcomers into the world of Buddhism, especially would be interested. Some of them may have worked already for a number of years and others just want to understand that better, to understand better Buddhists if they meet them, wherever mm -hmm. they are. So what are some of the critical worldview differences between Adventists and Buddhists? Let's do a couple of them and, and see how far we get. We may need to come back to this topic in another interview, <laughs> but the idea is what are the key differences, worldview differences that we as Adventists need to address? The first thing is that as 
Adventists, our desire is to share our blessings with them. It's not to prove them wrong. It's not to give them information that they don't have, but it's actually to share our blessing with them. And our greatest blessing is a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so as Amy was saying, Buddhists tend to be very pragmatic or people from those backgrounds. So we also need to approach them in a very pragmatic way so that they can meet who Jesus is. They can see what he's done in our lives and that we can invite them to experience him in theirs. They need to come to a a faith experience. And that's not something I can do for them. I can share my testimony of what he's doing in my life today, week by week, helping me with issues in my life. But ultimately, most Buddhists are very open to having you pray for them, especially if you have a friendship with them and and they have an issue that they need help with. And we share a testimony and ask them. God is the one who has to awaken that faith in them. And so that's something we partner with God in and trying to invite them to ask for his assistance or his blessing. So I think that's really important. But specifically dealing with worldview, a lot of times when we are sharing the our beliefs, we share it as propositional truths. And that's not wrong, but it just needs to follow that experiential, pragmatic element of our faith so they can see how it affects our life today, not just some future hope. But when we talk about our future hope, oftentimes we talk about the glory of our reunion with our loved ones and meeting Jesus in heaven. And we have songs like, you know, this world is not my home, I'm just passing through, and I have this amazing longing for heaven. And that can become, by itself it sounds wonderful, but actually to a Buddhist it sounds hollow because they have 26 heavens. So which heaven are you talking about? And we say, well, there's going to be this tree of life with the fruits that we can eat and the banquet feast and all of this. And they say, oh, (laughs) streets of gold. Yeah, they say, oh, these are the lowest six heavens. And actually, it's the devil who rules over those heavens. So we're putting our God below the devil, which in many scriptures, our Bible, we translate the word devil using the name of their devil because that's the language for devil in their language. That's the word for, for devil in their language. So when we just start translating our concepts into their language, we assume meaning is is fully translated, but actually it's not. And so what we have focused on is presenting the good news of the new heaven and new earth that replaces this system of karma, of life, death, and rebirth. And all the levels of heavens. And all Exactly, and all that's replaced. And when we share that, they say, wow, so this is actually your equivalent of nirvana, because nirvana is not a heaven. It's a condition of life. And that sounds like good news. And so this one simple little thing of just changing our talk about heaven and focusing on Revelation 21, the new heaven and new earth, then all of a sudden they're engaged with us on a cognitive level where they understand that this is something more than what is possible now. And just to add to that too, the the idea of nirvana most Buddhists don't have an actual picture in their mind of what nirvana is. It's indescribable. There aren't words to to create a mental picture of what that is. And so when we can say, we're going to have a new heaven and a new earth, and the earth is going to be very much like it is now, but without the suffering, without the sin, without the death, without the dying, without, without all the of the pain, the, right? The you know, tsunamis. without all of the bad stuff, it's going to be... And so helping them to explore the idea of if you could have a utopia, if you could have a perfect paradise, what would that look like to you? Well, that's what the new earth is going to be with all of our friends and all of our family. Because relationship is also very important to people in East Asia. 
And so helping them to understand that nirvana for them, or the Christ, what they're seeing as the Christian equivalent to nirvana, includes relationships with the people that we love the most. Yeah, just to add in on that, they're very communal, but their solution to suffering is very individualistic. Mm-hmm. But actually, the gospel is a very communal picture. You know, God is with us for eternity, and we're reunited with our loved ones. And so... God, salvation is a a God forming a new community for all who are willing to be a part of that. And so I think that speaks to them at a level that their religion doesn't. Mm -hmm. And so that's a beautiful thing that we can focus on. And just knowing this one little, one little piece, there's so much more we could share, but that one little piece is like a- It's a game changer. It's a watershed difference. Yeah. Yeah, I just wanted to also mention that from what I'm hearing, we as Adventists can bring the good news and people can totally misunderstand that. Yes. The good news of heaven, of new heaven and new earth. And when we say what we mean something with it, but people can just totally misunderstand. We have a big announcement to make today. A new online course is now live on the IWM website. It's called How to Learn a Foreign Language. You see, learning a new language is probably one of the biggest challenges most every expatriate worker faces. If you master the language of your host community, it could become a major leap forward in creating true friendships and fulfilling the goals of your ministry. If you fail at it, it could be an impediment to say the least. Personally, friends, I truly emphasize with this dilemma. I have failed to learn a local language during a certain assignment in my cross-cultural ministry. Right now, I'm in a different time and place, and I've decided to do it differently. I'm in an active process of learning a language of my host community. You see, I don't want to repeat that mistake of the past. And the skills and approaches to language acquisition that our new course teaches is a huge help. To access the course, Simply go to how to learn a foreign language course link, which you can find in the show notes. So thank you. That was an excellent example of, of, of such a difference. Bring up another one. Well, let me just add this, because this is a very important point. Ellen White writes in Testimonies, Volume 4, page 67, these words, In order to lead souls to Jesus, there must be a knowledge of human nature and a study of the human mind. Much careful thought and fervent prayer are required to know how to approach men and women upon the great subject of truth. And that's the key. If we're not actually think, knowing what, what their worldview is, what their value system is, the thing that is the most precious to us is meaningless to them. And that's exactly what is meant in the scripture that we shouldn't throw pearls to the swine. It's not that the unreached are swine. It's just that they're not going to value our pearls because they're on a different wavelength. But they can if we understand their mindset. So, so it's us who we're the problem. to do the work. Yeah, they're not. A lot of people say, oh, Buddhists are so hard to reach. It's like, well, guess what? My computer is hard to get into as well if you don't know my password. And I think we need to understand that there's a password to these different cultures. Mm-hmm. And then once we understand that, it's simple. Which is their worldview, their way of right. thinking, and so yeah. forth. So what would be another worldview difference that is striking that you have found is essential? Well, I think a lot of people are perhaps aware of this, but it's a very profound issue, and that is the issue of sin and atonement is vastly different between Christianity and Buddhism. Even though we as Christians struggle with this 
really, when you understand sin properly, it's not just doing something wrong. It's actually a broken relationship with our Creator. And that that broken relationship results in death because we're not connected to the source of life. And so it's a relational issue. Sin is relational. And because sin is relational, also salvation is relational. The atonement is, is making us one again with God. And this concept is completely foreign to Buddhists. They have no concept of that. For them, sin is a mistake. And you can choose whether or not to make a mistake or not. Just like I can choose whether or not to study hard for the next test and say, you know what, I have other priorities. I don't have time to study for an A, but I, list me, I, I, can, I know I can get by with a C on this test and I'll be fine. There's no sense of guilt. Yes, would you like to be able to have the A? Of course. Would you like to be able to be the top of the class? Of course. But there's not this inner sense of I've done something wrong and I need to confess that. So no shame is connected. No Right. Now, naturally, guilt. if you're murdering someone, there's that shame that is associated with that. There are issues that would cause one to be reborn in the state of, of hell. So there is that concept. But hell, again, is not an eternal place. It's you're going to be you're going to die in hell and then re be reborn after that. So but there's not this personal thing of sin. And as a result, Buddhists and especially scholars really look down on especially the Abrahamic faiths and Christianity because they have this strong idea that there's a God who's going to punish you and or would kill you if you don't obey. And they say that's such an ugly picture of their religion. You know, you are independent as a Buddhist. You can decide for yourself what you're going to do and you'll suffer the consequences, but there's no one out there to get you. It's just natural consequences in their mindset. So what's the key for us as Christians? Well, we have to recognize that we have to think of a different approach than sharing John 3.16 and the cross as an early stage. That's actually an advanced concept. And just like in teaching our children about how life is formed and the beauty of sex, you don't share everything when they're young. It takes time to develop that. And so with Buddhists, the same way. You don't want to focus on the cross at first, but you want to focus on God's love and that he cares for us and that there is a creator. So it's it's going to come through that. Now, here I'm entering another issue of creation. That's something else that's very str they struggle with. But like I started at the beginning, the key issue is that they need to experience that God is real through my testimony, what he's doing, not just my conversion testimony, but what is he doing today in my life? What problems am I struggling with anger? How does he give me patience? They want to see it practical, how I'm being transformed day by week to week, day by day. When they see that, when they experience that God can actually touch their life and in a way that they need help, then they want to start forming a relationship. And over time, I begin to teach them these other issues about sin is that broken relationship with this person, this being, this creator who has a deep desire to bless them and help them. So interesting, because usually we first teach doctrines and right. then we teach practical right. implementation of that lifestyle in our, in our lives. Here it's reversed, it seems. Completely. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Now, we just got a little taste of <laughs> what it means to, to misunderstand a huge amount of people. And this is why we do need to do our homework. Now, I know that you guys have developed resources, mm -hmm. uh, in more systematic resources to help mm -hmm. people actually be effective in their, in their incarnational approach and life among Buddhists to help Adventists. So, Amy, would you share with us what uh, some of those are? Sure. We have different types of resources. So the first type is sharing resources that we would use with Buddhist friends or people from East Asia who have this Buddhist-influenced worldview. Right now, we have two glow tracks. 
One of them is called Jesus Can Help, and it's just stories of people, modern day, now stories of people who have experienced God in their life, either through peace, through a healing, through a vision or a dream, and then challenging them. God can do this for you too. God wants to bless you. God wants to show you that he's real. So if you have a need and you would like to, you would like to see is God real, then pray this prayer. And we have a little prayer outlined, just inviting them. Taste and see, God is real. Very God practical, loves you, right? very practical. The second one, what's the name of it? A better future. A better future, thank you. And it's, it's talking about this idea of the new earth. Where's our earth headed? You know, building up the problem. Where's our earth headed? Bringing in different scientific studies showing how many years we have left and that kind of thing. And then is this really all there is? And then presenting the idea of a new earth. And again, inviting them. Taste and see, God is real, you know, and an invitation to reach out for more information. So that's one kind of resource that we have. The other kind of resources that we have are for helping us as Adventists and as Christians to reach out. How do we do it? What kind of approach do we take? And there's two resources that I would recommend. One of them is we have a training series that's on video available on our website called Winning Hearts. It's a 14, 14 half hour sessions along with worksheets to help you to understand what are the difference between Christianity and Buddhism? Why is it difficult for Buddhists to understand what we're saying? And then how do we how do we fix that? Like Greg was saying earlier, they're not the problem. We're the problem. We can't change Oftentimes, them. Oftentimes, right. Right. We can, we can only change how we approach them. So how do we do that effectively? And so that's what that video series does. And then we have a book also called Winning Hearts that outlines the first step of discipleship, which is making friends. A lot of times we feel like we're not making disciples unless we're giving Bible studies. But really, discipleship begins way before that with making friends. And so this book outlines how to build intentional friendships with people that are building the trust that we need in order to introduce Jesus to them. Fantastic, friends. I I can already feel if I was in the shoes of a person living in Southeast Asia that I would really want to find out where I can get hold of these resources. So Mm -hmm. that's my last question for today. Where to find this? Yeah, all of our resources are available for free online on our website. That website is cear.globalmissioncenters.org. And they're all downloadable as PDFs. The book Winning Hearts is also available on Amazon.com if you look for it there. And the glow tracks, of course, are available either on our website. You can download them and print them yourself, or you can purchase them through the glow tracks organization, their website. They're available in English from glow on our website. We have them in other world languages. You might also check the division and the union conference mission that you're working in, because many of them have them available in your local language. And I'd just like to add that that training video series that Amy mentioned We also have available there the PowerPoints, and many of the people who are going to be listening to this are are those who are in leadership, and if they would like to be able to develop their skills and become certified in this ministry, which is something that doesn't take a long time, but they can actually take those PowerPoints, and we can work with them to have them translated in the languages where they're working and be able to train their workers or the people they're associated with and these methods, because there's no way possible we can train everyone on our own. We really are looking for partners. And if anyone's wanting that partnership, we would be happy to to invest in them and help them to be able to do the same ministry that we like doing. Greg, Amy, thank you so much. Before we say goodbye to our listeners, 
Greg, would you please say a prayer for all of those who are out there working in this particular context? Father in heaven, we are thankful that you have deep love for every man, woman, and child on this globe. And we're just one or two of those. And we recognize that you are calling us to be involved in your mission because of the fact that it transforms us to be more like you. And it's there's no greater joy. And I just pray that for those who are listening in, that you would bless them in a special way, that you would help them as they prepare and equip themselves for a stronger ministry, that they would be greatly blessed, and that it wouldn't just be their wisdom, but it would be the power of the Holy Spirit working through them, showing them, these East Asians, your love and benefit in their life, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. To conclude, we ourselves don't want to be in any place and do things that our Lord wouldn't want us to do, right? I know this is your aspiration as well. As Adventist missionaries, we have a critical calling, and together we aspire to live this year the way our God would have us to. We're looking forward to a year when we as Adventist missionaries will grow spiritually, when we become stronger as missionary families and as intercultural teams in our workplaces, where we will be disciple-makers after the example of Jesus. Let's walk this path together in this new year. My name is Alex Ott, and I will see you next week.